please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45. I'll read those verses, and then I'll pray once more. Hear now the reading of God's word. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Please join me once more in prayer. God, you say that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, that the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, that the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, that the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So God, come help us now by your spirit as your word is opened. Through your word, would you revive our souls? Would you make us wise? Would you rejoice our hearts? Would you enlighten our eyes so that we might see the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, more clearly and be moved to love and trust him? Lord, help us. Help me as I preach. Help us as we listen. Bless your people now through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Three points. This morning, three points. First, the leper. Second, the Lord. And third, the lesson. First, the leper. Second, the Lord. Third, the lesson. Point number one, the leper. Look with me at Mark chapter 1, verse 39. The verse immediately prior to our passage this morning. That verse says, And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. If you remember last week, we saw that Mark gave us uh, 24 hours in the life of Jesus that took place in the town of Capernaum. And then in that last verse, verse 39, we saw uh, that Jesus spent months or weeks performing the same kind of ministry throughout the region of Galilee. So imagine how many sermons Jesus would have preached in this period. Imagine how many demons Jesus would have cast out. Imagine how many people Jesus would have healed in this season. Well, look with me at Mark chapter 2, verse 1, the verse immediately after our passage this morning. So Mark chapter 2, 1 says this, And when he returned to Capernaum, After some days, it was reported that he was at home. Friend, isn't it interesting that between Mark 1.39 and Mark 2.1, which is a period probably of months of ministry, Mark tells us 
only one story. It's a story that starts like this. And a leper came to him. Mark must think the story of this leper has something special to show us about who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what it means to follow him. We're not told in the text where Jesus is when this story takes place. We're not told who else was there, and we're not told anything else about this man other than that he was a leper. And from that alone, we know that this man would have lived a miserable life. See, in Jesus' day, leprosy was a term used to describe a wide variety of skin diseases, many of them life-threatening, not to mention exceedingly painful. Uh, Often this kind of disease would disfigure a person's face badly uh, or even lead to the loss of limbs. There were no known cures for leprosy in those days. In fact, Jewish rabbis used to say that cleansing leprosy was as difficult as raising the dead. And that's probably because God's law treated leprosy as symbolic of death. Leprosy was one of the conditions that receives the most attention in the book of Leviticus, from which Ellen read earlier. Most likely because it was connected with death, Leprosy was regarded by God's law as a cause of uncleanness. So in Leviticus chapter 13, the chapter before the one Ellen read for us, in verses 45 and 46, we read this. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, perhaps as a symbol of mourning, as though death had already come. And he shall cover his upper lip And cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. That last statement would have been the most terrible. The leper had to live outside the camp. So that law was written at a time when all of God's people were camping in tents in the wilderness. And in the middle of the camp was God's own tent, the tabernacle, symbolizing God's dwelling with his people. And the law was very clear because God is holy. People that were unclean, people like this leper, they were not welcome in the camp unless they could be made clean. So here is this leper. His body is racked with sickness. In Luke's account, he says this man was full of leprosy. His face and his limbs are probably disfigured. There's no known cure for what he's suffering from. He's excluded from the community of the clean. He's not allowed in God's temple in Jerusalem, which had replaced the tabernacle. But Mark is not telling us this story because this man's sufferings are so intense. Mark is telling us this story because in this man's condition... God's word has given us a picture of our condition apart from Christ. See, as the story of the scripture unfolds, it becomes clear that the system of cleanness and uncleanness in God's Old Testament law was meant to function as a picture of the incompatibility between sin and a holy God. So that's not to say that being unclean was inherently sinful. They weren't exactly the same thing. But 
the, the Old Testament laws of cleanness and uncleanness and temple worship, they were intended by God to be a worldview, a worldview-shaping picture of sin and holiness. Through this system of laws, God was connecting his people's intuitions about cleanliness and uncleanliness with less visible truths in the moral realm about sin and holiness. So let me try to illustrate using some of our own taboos. Imagine that you are at a restaurant and you are enjoying a well-prepared meal. And imagine you remark to the waiter, this is really good food. My compliments to the chef. Imagine then the waiter responds to you, oh, I'm so relieved to hear that you like the food because the kitchen water wasn't working, so we had to prep it in the men's room. But, but don't worry, we sanitized everything, so it'll be fine. Right? You would not finish that meal, no matter how well they'd sanitize the men's room, because we have an almost moral sense that bathrooms, public bathrooms, and food prep don't go together. You think I'm being gross, but this is G-rated compared to Leviticus. Here's one other illustration. So my family once went on a church mission trip to Honduras. And one night, we spent the night in this hotel in the middle of the jungle in Honduras. And the hotel owner had a small monkey, maybe like a 10-pound monkey that kind of hung out sometimes in the jungle and sometimes with the hotel guests in in the sort of outdoor sections of the hotel. Well, there was a man on this trip with us, probably about 40 years old, uh, and he had a beard. And he was hanging out with the other guests, or the other uh, mission trip members, and he was petting this monkey. He was just stroking the monkey, had the monkey all over him. And he would alternate between petting the monkey, and with the same hand, he would start to stroke his beard as he was talking. And he just kept doing it. He was stroking the monkey, and then stroking his beard. Stroking the monkey, stroking his beard. And it was really gross, Right? We didn't just have sort of a calm safety concern. Oh, sir, you, know, you might want to think about that. It was gross because beards that live close to your mouth where you put food and jungle monkeys that are not known for their sanitary habits, they don't go together, right? That's ew, yuck. That's what that makes us say. And so those illustrations, they're not perfect because both of those are about health and hygiene. And that's not exactly the same thing as the Old Testament cleanliness laws. But that sort of gut-level sense that the clean and the unclean don't go together, that's kind of a rough parallel uh, to the instinct that these Old Testament laws were designed to inculcate in God's people and to connect with the incompatibility of sin and holiness. Right? The clean and the unclean, they don't go together. We understand that. God says, yeah, just like that's true, the unclean, the sin, the sinful, the wicked, and the holy, particularly God's own presence, they cannot go together in the moral realm. Even in our secular society, we understand that morally, some things don't go together. Treachery in the army, right? Lies in the courtroom. Abuse in the family, adultery in marriage, right? In each case, the presence of the unclean ruins the clean. And if the clean is to remain good and pure and profitable, the unclean has to be expelled. Well, bringing all of this back to the text, this man's leprosy, this disease in his body, it is for us a graphic picture 
of how our sinfulness not only kills and disfigures us, but disqualifies us from the presence of God. So you might be familiar with Isaiah chapter 6, in which the prophet Isaiah records a vision that he has of God's glory in his heavenly temple. And when Isaiah catches a glimpse, a manifestation of the glory of the God who is holy, 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 Isaiah's response to that is to say, woe is me, for I am lost because I am a man of unclean lips. Right? When Isaiah sees God's holiness, his white hot purity, he says, I am unclean and unfit for God's presence because of the things that I've said and what they say about me. Notice Isaiah doesn't say, woe is me because I've said some things I shouldn't. He says, woe is me because I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah says, the uncleanness is in me. The problem is in my lips. So in Leviticus 13, the chapter before the one that Ellen read for us early in the service, God's law provides criteria by which priests, who also functioned as kind of public cleanliness inspectors, a criteria by which they could discern whether a disease was leprous or not leprous. And the priest is given a series of rules as he inspects the skin disease to say, well, is this clean or is this, is this unclean? So I don't want to make too much of this. I don't want to allegorize here. But as I read Leviticus 13, I can't help but notice that 10 times in that passage, the question is raised whether the disease has gone deeper than the skin. So God's law says repeatedly, if the disease is not deeper than the skin, or we're fine, but if the disease is deeper than the skin, deeper than the skin, deeper than the skin, 10 times, we've got leprosy on our hands. There's uncleanness. Right, this, this man who comes to Jesus in this parable, I'm sorry, in this not parable, in this historical story, if you had seen him, it would have been clear, he doesn't just have uncleanness on him. He has uncleanness in him. Is it, is it reading too much into the text to see in leprosy a picture of the way that sin disfigures us more deeply than the surface? Right? The picture isn't just that we've messed up and we've gotten something on us and need to be washed off. The picture is that we are messed up, that we've got something dirty in us, and that we need to be deeply cleansed. Well, whether or not that's implied by the leprosy specification that it's deeper than the skin, that's certainly consistent with what the Bible teaches about the nature of sin as something deeply disfiguring and dirtying. In Mark chapter 7, which Lord willing we will study someday, Jesus speaks these words about the meaning of the Old Testament's laws about cleanliness and defilement. He says this, he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. 
all these evil things, Jesus says, come from within, and they defile a person. Jesus' point is that like bathrooms and food prep, like leprosy and temple worship, so are the sins of our hearts and the presence of a holy God. This morning as I'm preaching this passage, on the one hand, I feel the burden of persuading you to take the Bible's view of sin, to, to show you from the scriptures and convince you how unclean sin is and how leprosy like our own hearts are. But I'm also aware that sometimes in God's kindness, he gives us moments of clarity in which we no longer need to be convinced that we're dirty. We know it. Sometimes we know it like the leper knows he's got leprosy. And if we're honest, we know and sense that we are in ourselves not qualified to approach a holy God. Friend, that's the posture that we need if we want to find help. That's the posture that we find this leper taking in this passage. Look at verse 40. It says, And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling. Right? This guy is not interested in saving face. He's not interested in maintaining his dignity. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. You see what this leper knows? He knows that he is very dirty and very desperate. And he knows that Jesus is able to help him. Friend, two things we need to know. First, we need to know that apart from Jesus, we are very, very dirty. However well you present in public, however religious or likable you are, there is in you and in me sin and moral uncleanness that's deeper than the skin that stretches to our hearts and that leads to death. The second thing we need to know is that Jesus is able to help us. Friend, if you want to be clean, you have to know that. Jesus is able to help you. So there's something about sin and guilt that can make you feel nothing could ever take my guilt away. I am guilty, I am shameful, and nothing could ever get me out of this. Maybe you've read Shakespeare's play Macbeth. Anyone else have to read that in high school, right, before we were old enough to appreciate it? Remember how early in the play, Macbeth and his wife, they murder King Duncan. They literally get his blood on their hands. And for the rest of the drama, they are plagued by the guilt of what they've done. So shortly after the murder, Macbeth reflects on the king's blood that's still on him. He says, will all great Neptune's ocean clean this blood from my hand? He says, no, this my hand will rather the multitudinous seas incarnadine or turn them red. Later in the play, Lady Macbeth, who is the nastiest woman in all of literature, she starts to sleepwalk from her guilt and she starts to rub her hands like she's trying to wash them off. He says, out, out, spot. She says, who would have thought that old man had so much blood in him? She keeps rubbing her hands, rubbing her hands. And she says, here's the smell of the blood still. 
He says, all the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. Macbeth and his wife, they are pained with the question, what can wash away my sins? Well, this leper, he knows he's very dirty, but he is a better theologian than Macbeth. This leper, knowing how dirty he is, he comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, if you're willing, you can do it. You can make me clean. You can wash my stains. Friend, if you want to be clean, you have to know you're not too dirty for Jesus to wash. Jesus is able. The million-dollar question we're left with at the end of verse 40 is, is Jesus willing? Is Jesus willing to make this man clean? Friend, is Jesus willing to make you clean? Point number one, the leper. Point number two this morning is the Lord. Four things we see about the Lord Jesus in this passage. First thing is his heart. Look at the first three words of verse 41. Moved with pity. So two weeks ago, we said that part of what it means to follow Jesus is to have a relationship with him. Not just to follow his example, not just to assent to facts about him, but to know him and to walk with him, to trust that he loves us and to trust and love him in return. And Christian, you know that when you walk in unrepentant sin, that affects your relationship with Jesus. And that's because Jesus, who is holy, hates sin. It's offensive to him. Sin in the life of the believer can affect our communion with Jesus. The Apostle Paul talks in Ephesians 4 about grieving the Holy Spirit. Have you ever sinned and felt the offense to God that your actions were? That jeopardized kind of your experience of closeness with him for a time. Well, Christian, when you sin, when you have sinned, and you bring your sin to Jesus... What is his heart toward you? What is his attitude toward you when you come to him with your leprosy? Well, the gospels give us very few glimpses into the emotional life of Jesus, but there's a word that appears throughout the gospels. And in fact, in the New Testament, this word is only used to describe Jesus. And that is the word that our translators have have rendered here, moved with pity. Elsewhere in the Gospels, this gets translated, moved with compassion. Christian, listen, when you come to Jesus and you have sinned against him, Jesus is lovingly moved by your misery. His heart toward you when you are dirty is a heart of compassion. His heart is drawn out to you in mercy. Look, if you're not walking closely with Jesus, he is more eager than you are to restore you to closeness with himself, to deal with the dirt. All over the Gospels, Jesus is described as one who is full of compassion, not just for sufferers, but for sinners, people whose suffering is their fault. 
It's very interesting. In this specific passage, there are a few manuscripts, and there's one very old and very good manuscript of Mark's gospel that instead of that word, moved with pity, moved with compassion, they actually have the word moved with anger. I think that might actually be what Mark wrote. We don't know. But if that is what Mark wrote, it's almost the exact same idea. Because it's clear that Jesus is not angry at this man. He's angry at what has happened to this man. He's angry at the effects of sin and Satan and the brokenness of this world on this man. There's a story in the book of Judges when the people of Israel are rebelling against the Lord. And because they're rebelling, they're suffering. And they come to God and they say, God, please save us. We are are suffering at the hands of our enemies. And God says, oh, well, why don't you go call out to those idols that you chose instead of me? Let them save you. And they say, no, 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 you're the God who can save us. Please, please save us. In the text of Judges, it it says this. It says that God became impatient over the misery of Israel. He couldn't stand it that his people were suffering. He was angry about what was afflicting them, even though it was their fault. Christian, do you see the merciful heart of Jesus, not only for sufferers, but for sinners, filled with compassion for the suffering that we've brought on ourselves, filled with anger at what afflicts us? You see the heart of Jesus in this passage. Second thing we need to see about Jesus in this passage is his willingness. Have you ever found yourself emotionally moved by something, but not actually moved enough to take action? That's not how the Lord Jesus is toward this man. The leper told Jesus, if you will, if you want, you can make me clean. And Jesus doesn't just get emotional. Jesus answers that request clearly and unambiguously. He says, I will. You can translate that word, I want to be clean. Jesus doesn't just feel some kind of way in his heart about sinners. His stated position is one of willingness to forgive sinners who come to him. So I want to take a moment to speak to any teenagers who are here this morning. Teenagers, if you're a little younger than a teenager, you know, you can listen. So glad you guys are here. When you grow up going to church as a teenager, one of the questions that you will likely ask yourself at some point is, am I a Christian? Am am I a Christian? Do I really trust in and believe the things that I've grown up hearing in church? And that's a really important question. Very important to ask ourselves, do I actually believe this? It's important to examine ourselves and to see whether we trust in Christ and and to examine our lives and to see whether our lives are lives that indicate that we trust in Jesus. But listen, no one ever got saved by examining themselves. And so as you examine yourself, listen, there's something that you need to know. Whether or not you are a Christian right now, Jesus is willing to save you. Jesus is willing to save you. So if you're a teenager, have you trusted in Jesus? Do you know him? I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. But whether you do or not, Jesus is willing 
to save you if you will trust in him. No one ever comes to Jesus and does what this leper does, kneels and implores him to make them clean, trusts in him truly and humbly, and gets rejected. That never happens. That's what the Bible says. Jesus is willing to forgive sinners, and not just teenage sinners. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, Jesus is willing to make you clean if you will come to him. No one who comes to him will ever be cast out. We've seen Jesus' heart. We've seen his willingness. Third thing to see about the Lord Jesus in this passage is his holiness. His holiness. Look at verse 41. It says, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus does the one thing you didn't do with a leper. The Old Testament rabbis had come up with all kinds of rules about how far away lepers had to stand. They said if a leper was standing under a tree and you walked under the same tree, you were unclean. So contagious was their uncleanness. Well, Jesus, the clean one, the holy one, he reaches out his hand and touches this man. The clean, the holy, makes contact with the unclean, with the sinner. But instead of this man's leprosy defiling Jesus, Jesus' holiness casts this man's leprosy out. Did you see the language in verse 42? What does it say? It says, and immediately the leprosy left him. Well, what did lepers have to do? They had to leave because cleanliness and uncleanliness are incompatible. Well, Jesus, the Holy One, shows up and meets this leper. Does the leper have to leave? No. Does Jesus leave? No. Jesus makes the leprosy leave. Did you notice Jesus doesn't just say, oh, you've got leprosy, it's okay, I don't, I don't mind. All of that holiness stuff, that's an Old Testament thing. I, I don't really care about cleanliness and holiness. No, holiness and uncleanness are in fact compatible, incompatible. It's just that Jesus' holiness is more contagious, more powerful than the leper's uncleanness. Jesus is willing and able to solve the problem of this man's uncleanness. And that's because the fourth and final thing we see about the Lord Jesus in this passage is a foreshadowing of his sacrifice. We see in this passage a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. Look there in verses 43 and 44. The text says, and Jesus sternly charged him. By the way, that's a very strong word. The heart of Jesus' compassion does not mean that he's not serious about obeying him. Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, what Ellen read earlier, for a proof to them. The ceremony in which one, blood was, one bird was killed and the other sent away in which blood was shed and applied to the ear and the thumb and the toe of a man so that it would have been obvious, what's made this man clean? Well, blood was certainly involved. Jesus doesn't want the leper to talk about what's happened to him. Did you notice that? Say nothing to anyone. The text doesn't say exactly why, but it's probably to prevent what happens there in verse 45 when the leper disobeys. That verse says, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, 
but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him. You see what happened to Jesus? At the beginning of this story, Jesus is on the inside. He's ministering in the towns and teaching in the synagogues. And the leper is on the outside. He has to live outside the camp. But by the end of the story, what's happened? The leper is on the inside. He's acceptable in the temple now. And Jesus, Mark tells us specifically, could no longer enter a town. He's on the outside. Or do you see that the leper and Jesus have traded places? So friend, listen, this is why Jesus is able to make you clean. Because 14 chapters later in Mark's gospel, Jesus trades places with unclean sinners when he dies on the cross. Jesus, the Holy One, he takes on himself the moral leprosy of unclean sinners who come to him for mercy. He takes their death on himself that they might have his life. He is excluded from God's fellowship as we deserve to be. Three days after Jesus dies, God raises him from the dead. Now he is alive and he is still able and he is still willing to cleanse anyone who comes to him with the humble cry, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. We've seen the leper, a picture of our own state apart from Christ. We've seen the Lord whose heart is compassion, who is willing to save, whose holiness is mighty and contagious, who trades places with unclean sinners. What's the lesson that Mark intends for us to draw from this passage? Third and finally, the lesson. We'll put very simply, here it is. When you are unclean, go to Jesus for mercy. When you are unclean, Go to Jesus for mercy. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. If that's you, I want to reiterate, we're so glad that you've come. You're very welcome to be here. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it it, it seems very clear that this passage confronts you with very good news and very hard news. The very hard news is that we are not the basically good people that we like to imagine. The very hard news is that in the eyes of the creator and judge of all things, we are moral lepers. The things that we don't like about ourselves, they are the tip of the iceberg of our uncleanness, the sin of our hearts. But the unimaginably good news is that that creator God, he gave his holy son Jesus to die and to rise to cleanse moral lepers so that they might be drawn near to him. The good news is that if you will come to Jesus, he is willing and able to make you clean. If you want to learn more about that, please don't leave here without speaking with one of us about how to come to Jesus in order to be made clean. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, brothers and sisters, you realize the application is not all that different for us. Those who've trusted in Christ once and for all have been made clean. We don't need to be saved again. But every now and again, our uncleanness, our sin rears its ugly head in our lives. It disrupts our fellowship with the Lord. So Christian, when you are unclean, when your sin, your leprosy appears again in your life, do not delay. Do not wait for a feeling 
Don't wait to stop feeling guilty. Don't wait until God forgets about it as though God forgot anything. Don't wait despairing that there's no hope for you. Go to Jesus for mercy. Tell him that you are unclean and that you need his grace again. You will find that his words to you are these. I will be clean. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for how your word reveals what is true about us. Thank you for how your word reveals what is true about the Lord Jesus, God, that his heart is compassion, that he is able and willing to save, that his holiness is mightier than our sin, that he died in our place so that we might come to you. God, I pray that for the first time or for the 10,000th, that we would be people who come to Jesus for mercy to be made clean. Lord, that we would trust in his power and love. Lord, that those who have never known you savingly would be brought into your kingdom through faith in Christ. Lord, that those who are in that kingdom would continually be made more like you, more into the holy image of your son as we come to you and experience your grace and kindness and favor. God, would you transform us into the image of this Jesus. Lord, give us hearts that love and trust and worship him. Ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.